This is I Don't Care If You Listen Podcast with my mom, Shawnee, and my auntie, Leonica. This is episode 32. I hope you have a good day. I love you so much. May the force be with you. If you love them, you don't even know them. I love the whole universe. Okay, so what am I doing here? I don't know. I'm just talking to people, okay? I enjoy talking to people. I miss great conversations, so that's what we do here. It's the I Don't Care If You Listen podcast. I'm Shalini. My girl, Leonica, and I took a a four-month hiatus. We took a break, so we're going to catch up with her in just a few minutes. Then we'll catch up with another friend of mine, Robin Donaldson, who's got some great experience, and you'll find out about that coming up. Um, Thank you for coming back. This is episode 32. It'll be a two-part series. 32A and 32B. I'd like to dedicate 32A and 32B to the nice gentleman I saw at the coffee shop today. He was a middle-aged white man wearing an impeached Trump shirt, proudly wearing his impeached Trump shirt. And I said to him, thank you for wearing the shirt that I wish I could wear, but I cannot. And he was like, yeah, I don't suggest it as a woman that you try it, but it was exactly what my soul needed in the morning. Just a hug from a new universe to say, got your back. So Thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening to the babble um, between myself, people I find interesting, and this journey called life. The I Don't Care If You Listen podcast. It has been way too long. It's been exactly four months. It felt like you had a lot going on. I knew I had a lot going on. I was like, I'm not going to pressure anybody to do this. We're going to do this as an enjoyable thing. It's okay if we take a summer off. I needed a summer. It was one of those, like, get it all done. I wanted to get at you because I would have the chance to talk to my friend Robin. I don't know if you remember, we, when I was in law school for that one year, she and I were, she was there, she finished, I didn't. But she went on to work with the Obama campaign, and, you know, now she's working on the, the Biden campaign, and I just thought, with everything going on, I would really love to sit down and talk to her. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Tell me about you. I know. I've been just working and dealing with my new transition. You know, I got three new kids. Yep, I remember you. You were just, that whole process was just starting when we were talking. I got a first grader. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha. And you you were talking all that smack to me, see? I know. I'm not happy about this shit. You told me I was going to be an old mom. See, I am an old mom, but now you get to old mom with me. Yeah, two girls and a boy. So are you fostering? Okay. We're in the process of adopting. Wow. Their mom rates got terminated, and their daddy died in February. They have no one. They got you. Yeah, they got us. I think we need to plan a sit-down and chat sometime soon. Yes, we do. We do. We really do. You're driving right now, right? Yes, I am. Well, I wanted to catch up with you and make sure we did a quick catch-up before I jumped into this. The conversation I ended up having with Robin was, was two hours long, and it's quite insightful about, you know, the campaign, and even though we've got this impeachment thing going on, that we still need to put the pedal to the metal. Really, I really. A question, though. Why Biden? That's why Biden? why you have to listen. Okay. So anyways, take a listen to this podcast uh, when I put this out. We need to talk about having first graders now because now you and I are both in first grader land because now you've got grown up, almost married, high school, and now first grade. You are you and Dion are, 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 are angels. <laughs> and fourth grade and daycare. My baby is one, Shalini. Mm, one. Mm. Is it family? 
Yeah, they're my cousins. They're your cousins, I got you. It's good that your cousins have family like you. Yeah, that's right. One day they'll realize it. Maybe, <laughs> and maybe they won't. And either way, you'll be loving babies. Yeah. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. The podcast with Shalini and Liana. Hey, Shalini, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Are we looking at each other? No, we're just talking, right? Yeah, just oh, talking. Good. good, good, good. Okay, hi. Thank you for doing this with me. Oh, yeah. No, it's fine. It's exciting. Well, is it? Is it? It's kind of slash scary one that I haven't talked to you in all this time, but it's also <laughs> kind of crazy that we're living in this world we're living in, and I'm kind of like finding it hard to have human help navigators and you're one of my human help navigators like you make it all human for me because <laughs> <Right. laughs> honestly some days I'm like where, where, where am I? I I have to I <laughs> reality check what am I doing where am I I am longing for conversations and so I've made a list of people that I want to have conversations yeah. with and you're somebody that can speak very very uh intelligibly and knowledgeably about some big world issues um and i think that your perspective is something that i wish i could just uh echo to everybody um oh. and i try i i just find social media to be a, a tough avenue sometimes so oh it is you know <laughs> I, I, I've got a love-hate relationship with it, so. Me too, me too. Oh, no, I mean, I'm the same way, like, right now. I mean, Facebook, I just feel like, you know, you have those personal connections, but I can't, like, right now, I'm just really off, like, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I, I see there's benefits to Twitter, but then also Twitter's kind of turning me off. But, you know, it's like, I don't want to totally shut down about it obviously social media is still important but i i'm with you it's very it's a love hate it is intense because as somebody who has always you know wanted to talk to people publicly and host open conversations yeah. it seems logical that social media would be someplace for me to live out loud however i it makes me recognize how much i appreciate my private world um, right, exactly. But I don't know. The bubble's kind of scary, so I don't. I don't know. The, so instead of um, you know, kind of just chatting on social media about this stuff, I just wanted to record something. Um, perhaps this will be part of the I don't care if you listen podcast. My name's Shalini. I'm joined here with my friend Robin. She's in Atlanta. But I just wanted to have these conversations and start talking about. Um, some some topics that are just obviously top of mind. Um, Robin, thanks so much for agreeing to do this with me. I, I appreciate oh, your welcome. flexibility. Um, one of the things that I had emailed you and said I really wanted to start talking about was your experience with the Obama campaign and how much you had worked with the Obama campaign and moving that into the situation we're in now. However, between the time that you and I emailed and now, we're looking at impeachment. So, because this all changes day to day, I do want to talk about why the math and the numbers support Joe Biden as the best possible candidate for the Democratic Party. But I also want to get your thoughts on where are we going? Where are we headed? What's this impeachment mean? Is It's not going to happen. Like, we don't actually think it's going to happen. It's just that it needed to be started, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, honestly, I I don't know what's I don't yeah, I really don't think he will be impeached. Um, but I am happy that they are at least starting those impeachment inquiries, I guess, because right. maybe that's an opportunity to put things on the record and um, you know, subpoena people and kind of put people on notice who might be, you know, tempted to follow, you know, what the president wants people to do, you know, break laws or do unethical things. So I think that it could be good in that sense. Yeah. And, you know, it's important to hold him accountable, but I don't know if it'll actually play out where he'll actually be impeached or they'll even go that direction. So you think it's just as important as ever to really put the pedal to the metal when it comes to focusing on election 2020, right? I do. I mean, I definitely feel like that we have to stay focused on that. Um, one thing about, I feel like the difference between Republicans and the Democrats are the uh, Republicans are very focused or they're very disciplined. Mm. They're very disciplined. And even with the Obama campaign, that was also something that was a key part with his campaign is that they were very disciplined. And so I just feel like the Republicans tend to be very focused and disciplined when it comes to like falling in line because they know that um, staying in control of the courts are going to you know determine everything. So like, um, let's see, uh, Trump has already appointed I think like a hundred federal judges. Wow. These are lifetime appointments, and you know he already uh, you know um, appointed a Supreme Court justice and you know in Brett Kavanaugh. And then if he's to win again, he's going to be on track to appoint another 100, 150, 100 to 150 federal court uh, judges, lifetime appointments, plus another two to three Supreme Court seats. So that will, you know, that will be a lasting effect for a good 30 to 50 years. At least. Um, and that will impact us, our grandkids, our kids, the grandkids, great, you know, so... That is one thing that I feel like for some reason, you know, the Democrats, they don't seem to keep things like that in mind um, when choosing a president and you know, remaining focused. I don't know. I, you know, and I think you're right. I don't know that it's not necessarily that they themselves personally don't keep it in mind, but I don't think that they do a good enough job of spilling it out to the general population to say, this is how long term these people will affect your life. So exactly. if Trump keeps putting his people in those positions, when you get caught with a dime bag in a state where it is illegal, his people are going to make the decision about your family member or your child or your brother or husband or sister's out life. Though he's gonna make that, that judge, he or she is going to make that decision under the same type of mentalities and ignorance quote sorry to be to be fair and to me it's it's that i don't mean see i get caught up sometimes i feel like i'm calling all republicans ignorant and i hate that because i'm trying to catch myself so that i can me be more inclusive but yeah. i fe i feel like the past two years have really made me mentally divisive that way and i try not to be um but, but I feel like if we let those positions get filled by people who have a mentality similar to the current administration, we are looking at a systematic closing people out of position, closing people out of opportunity, shutting people down from all kinds of things long term that you and I took for granted. We just thought was oh, yeah. going to be part of life forever. But those things are at stake now. And I don't think that the general population, sadly, I don't think they understand when, you know, I, to this day, even when if I go to a restaurant and I 
happen to strike up conversation with somebody and somebody makes, you know, a very flippant remark about not having voted, especially when it's a person of color, my heart just falls to the floor. Like, I really don't want to be that person that tells you over and over again, but I think sometimes maybe that's my calling to tell you over and over again, let me be the person. Your vote is so important. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so important. Too. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, when I'm, when, and I, I, I'm the same way because we do need Republicans and independents and swing voters and everyone, everyone who wants Trump out, we need to come together right. to get him out. Right. <laughs> But what I was going to say was, as far as like when I say Republicans, I really think I mean the party. They're very, you know, it's like they know how to, the party definitely, like they know how to craft things in a way for people to fall in line. And it goes to my second point, like they're very disciplined and then they're very good at messaging. Right. And again, that was something with the Obama campaign, He, they were very good at messaging as well. And then what I mean is, you know, Democrats will be, you know, deep into the intelligence of it all and explaining the intricacies of the policies and you know things like that and you know the republicans will have a very simple message like socialism one word you know yeah uh yeah pocahontas yep one word and it's like you think that those things are very simplified and they don't really matter or you know things like that but they're very effective you know i mean even with like medicare for all a lot of people don't even really know like what that really means you know but when you just say uh you know keeping your insurance as it is or adding a public option you know that's it's a different type of messaging so i just feel like that you know all of that comes into play too with you know campaigns and things like that it's a dog whistle i feel like there's so many dog whistles and they speak to each other in those dog whistles and um they they play to their most base the most basic of their base and because they play to their most basic of their base, they're able to build from the ground up. And yeah. sadly, Democrats are sometimes too smart for their own good in that mm-hmm. they just assume that the general public is on the same um, intelligence. Intelligence sounds arrogant. I don't mean arrogant, but informed on the same informed page as they are. And I don't mm-hmm. think that I don't think that people are as informed as Democrats think they are, unfortunately. Um, I don't think they realize it. I mean, we know that Trump's base is most underserved by his policies, but they don't, they still support him. So we know that. And they oh, yeah. still and fall for it. It's not about policy. You know, it's, right. it's, it's a lot of emotion. It's a lot about culture. And I just feel like that's something that, you know, is, I mean, often un- underestimated, you know, just how much the cultural things impact, you know, how people see you know see the world and how they vote and how they see their leaders and things like that yeah and i think you you put me on to a um a documentary true justice uh which was great uh just kind of tying it all together for me personally the understanding of something as um distant in our history quote unquote as lynchings and how connected to our current socioeconomic system lynchings really are. Um, mm-hmm. And how we've just kind of been like, oh, that's in the past and we let that go. But how built in they are into our system and how they've actually helped to manufacture the system that works for the Republican Party overall um, yeah. is fascinating and fascinating slash horrible and tragic. Um, 
But you put me on to that documentary, and then another one that um, I watched after that was Rigged, and it was the playbook, oh, yes. the playbook of of how to rig an election. So you put mm-hmm. those two documentaries together, and in my mind, I just turned to a straight numbers game. This is yes. all numbers, <laughs> straight numbers. I have no emotion. I like something about all the Democratic candidates. They're all pretty. They're all cute. They're all funny. They all got a policy or two that I like. They all have something nice to say. I'm sure that would be great to have a, a beer with, quote unquote, as, as it were. But when it comes to numbers, who is going to get us in the door to where we can start electing judges and changing policy on the local level? And the only person who makes any sense is Joe Biden. Um, yeah, you you met him recently. I did. That's I did. pretty sweet. I, I haven't posted it yet on social media, um, but I will be soon. But yeah, you know, I've gone to several. Well, first of all, let me just kind of you know back it up, please. Yeah, but I really learned how. I mean, numbers obviously have always. Well, I'm, let me go way back. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I worked for the Obama campaign. Um, I was uh, his uh, what you call it? Uh, field organizer. Okay. <laughs> in lauder hill florida and what made that campaign different uh, on a presidential level is that they would break down exactly how many votes that you needed to get in your area so in lauder hill i was responsible for like maybe 31 i mean it was down to the like 31,247 votes or something like that let's say and that was next to my name you know everyone it was broken down next to your name so it was a lot of accountability a little bit of Um, pressure (laughs) yeah no exactly (laughs) excuse me and they would tell you like okay barack obama you know he asked to see florida's numbers today and you know and they would look at the numbers because that's how they determine um if they're going to invest in your state. So let me just, cause I mean, this was, I've been in, pol- you know, in politics in various levels, you know, my whole life, but right. this was my first time on a, like on a presidential campaign where I worked for the campaign. Right. It is a completely different experience when you volunteer. Cause when you volunteer, it's on your own time. <laughs> you can go home when you want to. <laughs> right. And you don't have that pressure. But, uh, but then in this scenario, when you, uh, my job was to, you know, work on the ground and so you're constantly talking to voters and you're, you're asking them like, what are your issues? And then, you know, you would start to see like people's, um, the, the change in what the issues were. So like, for instance, we were like healthcare, you know, the Iraq war or Iraq war. And, you know, we would ask these different things. And so what we're doing is we're gathering feedback and then we're putting it in the database. And then, so let's say healthcare is like the big issue. Well, they pass that information up you know, to the candidate. Mm-hmm. So the candidate, if he's seeing that or her, like if they're seeing that healthcare is a big issue, then they're going to start talking more about it because that's what they're, that's what the voter wants to hear. Right. So that was like one thing. So it, it would be interesting to see like over time, which issues became more important. Right. And then, you know, once you identify a supporter, you're trying to get that person, you know, you might call, Hey, Shalini, do you support, you know, Biden, let's say, and if you're like, yeah, then now I'm trying to get you to come and help us volunteer. So then, you know, that's how you get people brought into the campaign. Okay. Um, then there's a persuasion, you know, element. So you might be calling and maybe I call you and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of undecided. I'm leaning towards this person. Mm-hmm. Okay. So put that in the database and then maybe you get a call a couple of weeks or a month later. Hey, you know, I'm now on board, you know, so you're, you're constantly talking to board, voters on the ground. So this is, outside of social this is before twitter before instagram all that stuff 
So um, it was really interesting because you really were interacting with the voter. And that's what I love about like a ground game is Mm -hmm. that you're in the trenches with the voter and, and really working with them to see, you know, how to bring them in, you know, to the fold. But what I learned was um, how important numbers are. (laughs) So, you know, um, long story short, after, you know, Obama was elected and and the thing about the area that I had um, in Florida, I had the highest, um, vote goal in the whole state because um my area had a lot of first time and unlikely voters so we really had to like get a lot of those people out to the polls and so um you know i was successful in it and you know i had a great team of volunteers and people who were working together and we actually like went higher than the original goal you know so that's what i really kind of learned about like the importance of numbers right um but just to give you a like a little example and a little like a little taste in 2008 barack obama won by 10 million votes popular votes in 2012 he won by 5 million votes and then in 2016 hillary won the popular vote by 3 million votes but then she lost the electoral college so what this will tell us is whoever runs, um, you know, or whoever is the, the nominee and whoever wins and everything, they really need over, you know, I would say over six, seven million votes, closer to that 10, 10 12 million votes, just to have a decisive um, victory. Because if it's close, that's when a lot of the voter suppression and those, you know, tactics mm. come into play. Yeah. And I think it'll be harder to win the Electoral College and remove um, Trump. And so one thing about, um, you know, the current race right now, it's like before Biden hopped in, you know, I was open, you know, I was open to other candidates and and I was listening to what they were saying and everything. Um, But then I just, I don't know, I I, I didn't feel confident in a lot of them because when I was looking at the coalitions they were building or looking at, you know, some of the issues they were, you know, out here saying, it did not seem like a lot of them had either enough of a strategy or enough of a coalition or enough of a message to, to kind of cobble together the coalition you need to win. Um, then Biden entered the race. And, uh, I think, you know, once he entered the race, I felt a little bit better and I was still open, you know, but I've donated to a lot of campaigns and I've gone to a lot of events and, and, you know, kind of seen, you know, who's running their event, how is it being run and things like that. And, Honestly, the people who have, the person who still has been the strongest to me has been Biden. Um, And I just also think that goes to his experience, you know, as a vice president, as well as a senator. And I feel like he has the the chops, you know, know, to be able to run a, a full general election. And just from what we're seeing lately is that obviously Trump is threatened. Yeah. So... I feel like people really need to pay attention to some of that. Um, I have a lot of friends who are very hardcore Warren. Not, well, not a lot. I won't say a lot. <laughs> but some are hardcore Warren. But every time I ask them, like, how is she going to win if she's only appealing to, like, a very progressive part of the party? And that just is not something that you can do in and win a general election. But we're not there yet. And... I think we thought that we had reached some threshold of progressive status as a country by electing Barack Obama. And it genuinely feels like we've taken a thousand steps back. I appreciate that you take the time and the energy 
to really investigate candidates. Like you spend time learning about each of them. Um, I'm a lazy person. I'm just lazy. I one of the, my biggest issues with this Trump presidency is having to be at a women's woman's march, having to be at a climate strike because my kid's school is also closed on that day for active shooter training. Oh my gosh. I am too lazy to protest. And now I feel like I'm being thrust into this, like, if you don't do something, we're all, what, what, what are you doing for your kid? You owe it to your child. So I admire and I respect and I love that you take the time for me. What did it for me was that Joe Biden will speak to the most basic of humanity. So those people that are a little ticked about Trump, but they still kind of like the old white guy in the office, maybe this will do it for them. Yeah, right. You know? And I think, yeah, and I think Joe Biden, I mean, the thing is, all the candidates have weaknesses. Right. You know? Biden has weaknesses, and, and but at, at the same time, I also feel like there's not a lot of focus on Biden's strengths, mm. and there's a lot of focus on Warren's strengths, but the, but her time has not come yet where she's going to get the, the scrutiny, because um, that's what the media, and I don't want to say, like, the mainstream media, but, you know, I yeah. mean, and it's not even just the journalists, it's, you know, because they're working for someone, but, you know, it's who, it's the people who own these networks and things like that. Like, they want to see entertainment, they want to see a fight, <clears throat> and they would love to see, I feel like, to see Pocahontas and Trump go at it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, that's, you know, they, that's that's more exciting than, I feel like, a Biden and Trump, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, what also what ends up happening is, like, with, um, you know, the media, the networks and things like that, whoever's the front runner is going to get a lot of the scrutiny. So when Biden came out, he was the front runner. He started to get a lot of scrutiny, but Warren, she hasn't really had, she's, she hasn't really had a whole lot of scrutiny quite yet, but there's a lot of information that's out there um, that really is contradicting some of the things that she's been saying. And, and a lot of that information, you know, hasn't come out. And so I feel like there's this push to just really, kind of get into this you know warren rising narrative but it's not exactly all that i won't say that it's not true because she is you know gaining popularity and things like that but there there's a lot of other problematic things about her candidacy that people don't want to talk about and and hopefully we can yeah yeah (laughs) well i i would love to i honestly when it comes to warren um yes let's absolutely talk about that because here's the thing Again, love a lot of things Bernie says. I love a lot of things that Elizabeth Warren says. I love a lot of things that Kamala Harris says. I I really do appreciate what they're saying. And I think, again, we would be great friends. But who can win and and change this trajectory of the the direction that we're headed? Who can do it? You sent me something the other day. um, uh, What's the the lady who uh, was questioning Elizabeth Warren? What was her name? what was she questioning her? She was questioning. She was basically saying Liz Warren, um, you know that that her oh. campaign and her winning is oh, yeah. basi- is basically handing the presidency back to Trump for all intents and purposes. It, yes, I mean the thing about it, um, people like you're talking about the bubble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've lived in Illinois. I mean, you know, obviously from the Midwest, or yeah. you know. Obviously, I didn't say that, but yeah, I am from the Midwest, from right. Illinois. Um, 
And actually, Illinois is one of the most uh, representative uh, states of the Democratic Party in regards to um, income, race, ethnicity, and ideology. So it's so I say that because you know the first few states are you know it's Iowa and then New Hampshire, largely white, largely progressive. So Elizabeth Warren really should. I think she'll probably win Iowa, and I feel like Bernie might win New Hampshire or Warren could even win New Hampshire possibly. And they're both um, senators in states that are neighboring media markets, you know, with Massachusetts and then Vermont. And then you have, you know, New Hampshire, you know, well, as far as New Hampshire is concerned. So whoever wins Iowa is not, I mean, that's not really representative of the Democratic Party or the country. and then people will sometimes, you know, like to say like, oh, well, Barack Obama won Iowa. And then, you know, but it's different you know, because you had this issue of race, you know, involved. Right. And then people kind of like to forget that, that, yeah, he was black, but Barack Obama is also a man, you know, <laughs> right. and privileged, male privilege there. It's a, it's a different road, you know, as well for a woman. So they're not considering some of those things. Um, and then I've also lived in California, I've lived in Florida, and I've lived in Georgia. And I feel like it's given me a very interesting view, you know, of the country. California is definitely a bu- bubble, you know. And that was one of the reasons I, I mean, I enjoyed California. It's, it's very, very beautiful. There's a lot of things I love about California, but I also kind of felt like, uh, if I don't leave here, I might just end up like staying here forever <laughs> and being in this bubble, you know. And um, I really didn't. I didn't see that for myself. But my point is, um, when you look at like the electoral map, culture is an important thing. And one thing I was so surprised about in 2016 was how many white women voted for Trump. I mean, it was, I think it was 51%. So that was like mind blowing to me. It's mind blowing to me now. Like, yeah, I mean, it really like that, that threw me off. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I was I was shocked he won, yes, because I just really thought, <laughs> excuse me, that the Hillary campaign would have a better handle on things. Yeah. But having worked for the Obama campaign, just to let you know, there's always been this uh, kind of um, not it's not really an ongoing joke, but there's always been this thing about like the Hillary campaign, like they just tend to make certain missteps mm. and do certain things that just don't make sense. Like mm. they pay a lot of money to consultants and polling consultants and things like that. And they don't invest in the ground game in the same way. Or right. they don't give a lot of uh, thoughtfulness about who they're placing on the ground in the communities, or they may just show up. The Obama campaign was different because he came from an organizing background in Chicago. So he, what what people some people don't know is that um after i think it was after harvard or maybe while he was in law school one of the two he ran this uh voter operation in chicago and he he helped to lead up this operation that registered like a million voters wow and this helped to put senator carol mosley ron into office you know when she ended up running because they already had registered these voters so when you come from that sort of uh place um the whole dynamic of the campaign is different because organizing was such a key focus. And I just know, like, for instance, um, there was a time where it was a, a primary state. I want to say it was Pennsylvania or something or, or something. It was a super Tuesday and 
it was like Obama was losing, you know, to Hillary in one of the states or maybe, you know, because they can look at the stats and see like how many people are coming out to vote and where and, and are they your supporters. And they, I think Obama or whoever, they called the Chicago headquarters and they were like, get out of your desk, <laughs> grab a clipboard and go knock on some doors. Like it didn't matter if you were at the senior level, you know, everyone had to get out and go and knock on doors. Like, because, th because that's like, that's the most powerful thing to do is to get in front of a voter face to face. So that's like a whole different kind of mentality right. that the Hillary Clinton campaign, they just didn't have, you know? So all back to 2016, I really thought that, you know, she had her campaign under control, you know? And then when I heard that she skipped the mid, and I love Hillary, don't get me wrong, I love Hillary. No, I, um, I know. But, um, I know I didn't volunteer for her presidential campaign, and I don't think that's a good sign for me personally because usually I'm very involved. But I don't know, I just underestimated, you know, Trump, and I under and I just overestimated Hillary. So you know, those are major missteps that she made. But then when I found out, you know, that okay, Trump won, you know, that sucked. But then when I found out that 51 percent white women supported Trump after all the horrendous things. Mm you know, that he had, you know, been saying and doing in regards to women, it really brought it down to a deeper level, you know, about culture and about patriarchy and, you know, all of these other things. So yes, we had a very, like we had the women's march, we had Me Too, we had all these great things happen, you know, since Trump has been in there, but we just put Kavanaugh, you know, on the Supreme Court. And there's women out there who, and, and again, I hate, to, I mean, I hate to t make about race, but I mean, it is differences, you know, yeah. and there are a lot of white women who support Kavanaugh and think that he was being picked on. It almost feels know? like um, it was, then, it feels, it almost felt like, honestly, it felt like it was white women versus Hillary. It really did feel like that. Yeah. Like somehow they were threatened by the idea that, you know, her husband would let her do that or yes. you know that type of maybe it's such a deep-seated mentality that maybe they didn't even realize it or maybe they totally did and that's the thing and that's why i try to you know you know because i mean i have a you know spiritual uh yeah. just you know the way i live my life i try to have this empathy and compassion for some of these white women because i don't know as a black woman what it is like to grow up with a white father or a white brother or a white uncle or whatever, you know, and where you're being exposed to, you know, these certain ideas about men and women early on. And there was a Facebook group, um, this group called, uh, I think it's called Pantsuits or for Hillary or something Yeah, like Pantsuit that. Nation. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Pantsuit Nation. And after Trump won and people were like, you know, and, and of course we're not saying all white, like there's a lot of white women who don't support Trump and, you know, who don't have these, you know, ideas and everything. But in that Facebook group, uh, you know, a lot of people were sharing like, yeah, you know, growing up, you know, my brother would, you know, uh, I was told, you know, you can't do this, but your brother can, or, you know, so what I'm trying to say is I feel like there's a lot of white women who really internalize patriarchy. And that's something that is not really talked about, you know, yeah. not even amongst with, 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 like, they don't talk about it with each other. No. Um, and the ones who are willing to talk about it, either they get it and they don't really know like what to do with that, or some of them are still kind of in denial about how deep that runs. <laughs> I, I, I think that the 51% um, 
the white the white woman vote going to Trump says a lot about where we are mm-hmm. uh, as a society, not just towards uh, women, but how we structure our world. Yeah. Uh, sadly, I think about it's sad because I used to say things like. <clears throat> You know, I, I when I was in high school, I was voted voted women's liber, um, my senior year, and I don't even think my classmates knew what that meant. I barely knew what that meant. All I knew it was that in like you know social science classes, anytime something would come up where women were women were not allowed to do something, I would raise my hand and ask why. What I used to say about Hillary is, as a mom, um, a mother will think twice and ten times before they send anybody else's child off to war. Yeah. A father is a father and God bless fathers, but a woman, a wife, a, a woman and a mother is going to have a much different perspective about sending other children off to war. So yeah. I always felt like um, from a national spiritual level, we would be better served if we would allow that to to be the scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like you and I talked before, if Hillary couldn't do it, I'm pretty confident Elizabeth can't do it. Um, but the, 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 the other side of that is, is when I look at Joe Biden and I think about the world that we live in, where we're digitally connected, we have less face-to-face conversation than ever before. Um, likewise to Hillary, somebody who's lost a child is going to have a different empathy and a different style of governing and a different style of humanity than somebody who doesn't even know how many children they have. Sorry, that was a jab, but I'm taking it. Um, you know what I mean? I I just feel like we need humanity. And I feel like Joe is the, the, he's the representation of some version of humanity, even in his blunders, even when his, you know, they want to pick on him for the eye or the teeth or the, the record players or whatever, even in all those blunders, he's still more human and will bring us back to that path of taking women to some version of equality and and hopefully people of color as well. No, absolutely. And the thing is, like, well, two things I was going to say, like, um, <clears throat> one thing, when you even look at the numbers um, from 2018, because, you know, we did have a lot of gains, obviously, with a lot of women um, being elected during the midterms in 2018. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, celebration about that. But one of the stories that kind of got lost or and, or didn't people don't really want to talk about is in 2018 during the midterms in November, you know, so this is fairly recent, uh, 49% of white women voted for the Trump backed candidate. So it only went down, you know, a percentage or two points. So my whole thing is th- this idea, cause some of my friends, you know, will say like, oh yeah, it's just all the women and we get together and we'll get this woman president. And I get it. Like I want a woman president too. We're not there. But at the same time though, it is a total myth. Women do not coalesce, and, and this is regardless of race. Mm-hmm. They say that women do not coalesce around a woman candidate just because she is a woman. It is about the party and the policies. So once again, you know, we cannot, you know, bet on that mm-hmm, <laughs> and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Absolutely. then it's like, it's a certain level of, <clears throat> yes, there's divisiveness, and but we, but both sides have to really be careful of that because, um, you know, like after Trump was elected, you know, I was real like, oh yeah, you know, like I wanted to go deeper into my bubble with like 
the, the progressives and liberals and everything like that. But I live in Georgia, in Atlanta, and um, that's, you know, I'm interacting with Republicans and swing voters and everything all the time, you know, just around the community and things like that. And we really do need them. Like, yes, we do need our base. Like, we need to definitely turn up the voter turnout for um, our base of voters with young people and um, Black, Latino, you know, Asian, everyone. We, we need all of them, too. Uh, but at the same time, though, we do need to have some Republicans, some swing voters and independents. That's how Obama won. Obama did not just win with super progressive uh, liberal Democrats, you know, you need, you need a broad coalition. And that's one thing I, I, I mean, I like what something, I like what a lot of these candidates are talking about, you know, different aspects. <clears throat> and I don't love like every position Biden has, you know, necessarily either. But, um, I, what I do know is that it feels like Bernie and Warren are really so focused on like taking on, you know, these industries and, taking on the 1% and taking on Wall Street and this, this, and that. But within those groups, there are people who believe the same things as we do. You know, so we can't, like, come from a place where it's seeming like we're being very divisive, you know, against all of those people as well. You know, like, we have to, it has to be a balance, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I think, so I've been a little, I used to watch Bill Maher a lot. I shouldn't lie. I watch him a lot still. Oh, I, I do too. I still watch him. Um, and there, but there was a period where I was going to boycott him, where I, me personally, yeah. where I was just like, he kept attacking woke people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And even in conversations with my white husband, there's been a little bit of like, the woke people need to chill the F out because the woke yeah. people are the ones that are kind, they're the ones that kind of maybe screwed us with before. We got to be careful yeah. not to go too far woke. For me personally, there's this balancing act of, I have to always respect those people who have the gumption to rattle the cage. Okay. Be- because without them, who would we be? Um, and that takes guts. It takes balls to go against the grain. But we can only go so far against the grain in order to get the majority of people to vote for people who we need them to vote for. Um, In talking about Biden, you know, Biden had said, P.S., the woman who I was talking about was Crystal Ball. She's the one who has been talking about Liz Warren and if she wins the the candidacy that it's an it's a it's a shoe in loss. Um, yeah, I totally agree with, with her assessment. It's a little YouTube me too. video from thehill.com, I think. But yeah. yeah, she nailed it. She nailed it. <laughs> She's right on. The thing that I, I – I, so Biden was on The View, and he said to the ladies on The View that he didn't want President Obama to put his thumb on the scale. So he didn't want an official endorsement from President Obama because he didn't want him to put his thumb on the scale. And I told you my first reaction was like, Put your thumb on that Mickey Ficky scale. Yes. President Obama, get in there. I don't care if Obama's running around with a Biden t-shirt. You know, like, <laughs> use it. He's the most highly respected individual in the world. Use that. Um, yeah. Do you at least think that Joe Biden's campaign will use the tips and tools that they learned from the Obama campaign? Do you, do you assume that that will just be a given, that they will go and play the ground game? Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, you can have a, a person who is has the best ideas, you know, 
and so there's the ideas you know there's the ideas and the policy mm-hmm. then there there's the candidate you know who the candidate is how you know how they are perceived and you know like superficial things you know um then you have the campaign you know and the people who are actually running it and making you know smart choices about where to put resources and the messaging and the you know being able to raise money and and all you know all of these things so and then there's, you know, the actual, the, the climate, you know, of what's happening. So, so all these things come in, come into play. Um, so for me, you know, there's this, I'm such a, a dork with this, but there's this website. I love it. And tells you like who is being hired in the first, um, the early states and like Iowa, New Hampshire for each campaign. Oh. So I'm looking, I'm looking, you know, and. But by, by telling I, you who, you mean like it gives you names of people? Yeah, and like what their backgrounds are. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, one thing I, so I'm always looking to see like who has, I mean, no offense, everybody, but like (laughs) who has a lot of like former Hillary people. Yeah. You know, because when I look at that, I'm just thinking like they have made missteps, you know, in 2008 and 2016. Don't let them do it again. Yeah. Right. And then I'm looking at like, okay, where are Obama's people? You know, um, and then, uh, and, and I mean, don't get me wrong, there will still be for people from former campaigns who work across the board. But what I do know is that the head of uh, Biden's campaign right now, the campaign manager, he is a young man, um, Greg Schultz, I think is his name, but he was the, he was the uh, person who was over Ohio for Obama. Oh, good. And they won Ohio twice. And Ohio is definitely a tricky swing state what you what did you say his name is eric did you say greg i think it's greg Scholes. go greg go greg greg we got you we got your back greg yeah and if you think about it i mean in 2014 john you know came down to carrie and bush right ohio did and then you know bush won and then when you think about it obama i think lost ohio to hillary during the primaries Mm -hmm. so then for him for obama to come back and win it during the general two years in a row um, and, and not just the state, but the electoral college is what I'm trying to say. Right. The, I, I feel good or more confident, you know, that this man is running Biden's campaign. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when hopefully they picked Warren up some lessons. Warren's campaign, Ugh. I forgot who it was, but it, I just was not as impressed. And I mean, these things are important because you have to have somebody who's, you know, in, in charge and able to, you know, make these smart decisions. Um, and there's a there's a new podcast. Uh, I want to just definitely get into this. Um, David Pluff. Okay. So David Pluff has a podcast. Um, he was Obama's. Uh, I think he was the one of the strategists for his whole you know field operation. And David Pluff, Pluff's background is he did a lot of work in with uh, congressional districts. So when he sat down with Obama, I think in 2007 or 2008, he wrote a book like after Obama was elected. Um, But he was saying that like they knew exactly where to get the votes, you know, down to which districts, you know, to win the delegates for the primary. And then when the general came around, they knew exactly where to get the votes. Like it's not rocket science. It's math. Right. You know. Right. So like if you know, okay, uh, Trump won by 500 votes let's say in Atlanta, you know, to help them win the electoral college. Okay. Well, you know, this time, instead of getting 500 votes, maybe you want to set a record or, you know, set a goal of getting 2000, you know, just to be sure. Right. So 
he they were so strategic and they knew you know down to because when you think about it a lot of people still don't vote like you were talking about there's tens of millions of people out there who don't vote so you have to go and find those people and bring them in to the process so what i'm trying to say is like when you look at the math um again you need to have a certain coalition you know in order to win so like for instance um, loyal voters, because a lot of people are so concerned about young voters, and they are important, do not get me wrong, but young voters are a lot more fickle in showing up to the polls. Like, they might be so hardcore on social media, but then when it comes time to actually show up to vote, they may not show up, you mm. know, except for maybe like, you know, it, it changed, of course, like last year, a lot, a lot more young people voted. But when you look in, at Chicago, so in, I think it was April, we, well, I don't live there anymore, but when I was, there with my mom um chicago was electing a new mayor after i think like eight years and the voter turnout was horrible overall and it was terrible for young people mm. and i mean that was just after the midterms but see the here's 20- the thing when we t- again the docu- true justice was what keened me you know clued <clears throat> me in on the two documentaries true, true justice and rigged two you should definitely check out if you're interested in figuring out how where and why we got here but the the non-voters, the general impression I'm getting from the non-voters who may fall into that young voter category, but the general impression I get them, from them is that whether it be their moms, dads, grandmas, whatever, it's been a few generations of disillusionment, disenfranchisement, and so voting is just kind of a non-priority. And that didn't happen overnight. That feels like that disillusionment, that voting's not a big deal, has kind of happened over the years. And so it's something that's kind of just been built in, built in to certain environments where it's just yeah. kind of like, well, whatever we vote for, it's not going to matter, so why even bother? And that's not just this generation. I feel like it's kind of like a cumulative piling on effect year after year of just kind of whether it's you know direct or indirect voter suppression, whatever witnesses, whatever they've witnessed, it, that is driving them away from the polls there's something there there's something yeah, that know, has absolutely. happened you know and i mean and 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 see that's where it's like we have to you know yes that's i mean that is absolutely true and that's what makes it sad because obviously young people are the future and you want them to be involved and things of that nature um but then it's kind of where this is where we have to part ways and get back to the numbers right 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 <laughs> so right 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 that's why right. you can't just focus only- on one group bank everything on this on young people right because they may or may not show up you know in the long run right but the the when you come to as far as the democrats we know that the strongest and most loyal voters are people over i think like 60 65 or so okay. that's why it made no sense why these people like castro were attacking biden on age because a lot of those voters that you need are older <laughs> And 70 um, is not what 70 used to be. We've got longer life expectancies. 70 is yes. 70 today is not what 70 used to be. And I'm I'm right there with the next guy being like, "Okay, come on, Joe, don't say record player." But I'm looking at the whole entire picture. <laughs> I'm not looking right. at this one little thing, and that's what people are getting, I think they're they're getting caught up on. And and that's yeah. sad. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. A podcast with Shalini and Yama. Be sure to listen to episode 32B, 
Robin Donaldson and I will continue our discussion about Joe Biden, uh, possible running mates, and election security. What are we doing to make sure that we actually have a valid election uh, in the 2020 election? So check out the next episode of the I Don't Care If You Listen podcast. Thanks for coming back. So, so, so appreciate you taking the time. But I don't care. You know what I mean, right? Thanks.